Welcome back to the Ordinary Pastor Podcast. I'm John Payne, pastor of Redemption Hill Church and a member of the Sovereign Grace Leadership Team. And I'm joined, as is often the case, with my friend Jared Mellinger. He's a pastor of Covenant Fellowship Church, also a member of the Sovereign Grace Leadership Team. So Jared, always great to do these with you. Hey, I love doing this with you. You know that. These, uh, these are joyful times where we get to talk about the things that we love and, uh, and delight in. Uh, we have been talking together about what we're calling the shaping virtues. Um, and these are character traits that flow out of the, the acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are things that we really have been taught to value over the course of our history in this family of churches. And as, as younger leaders, we're not, I'm not sure we're young anymore, younger leaders, we, we certainly want to see these um, passed down to the next generation. Those that are coming behind us, we want to see them unashamedly promoted and talked about in Sovereign Grace. Um, we, we think they're essential to having uh, mature churches, and um, we don't claim to have them in perfection, but we certainly want to be striving after them. So um, right now, uh, we want to talk about the category of godliness. Uh, godliness is obviously a huge category, and in one sense, all the things we've been talking about are included under the category of godliness. A godly person is generous, is humble, is joyful. But we, we wanted to include this, and we'll get into why, because we, we just wanted to make sure that the idea of sanctification and holiness and the fact that accepting the gospel begins a journey of increasingly reflecting the character of Christ, yeah. that justification is the the point in time when we're, we're credited with the righteous record of Christ, but then increasingly by the power of the Holy Spirit, motivated by that gospel, we want to increasingly reflect his character in our life until that moment when the, the Lord makes us like himself um, and we're glorified and go to heaven. But we, we just don't want to neglect that category. It's a category that I think historically in Sovereign Grace, we've been grateful to hear about themes like holiness and not loving the sinfulness of this world and doing battle against the sinful urges of our old man and fighting for godliness motivated by the gospel. Um, and so we, we want that to be a virtue that continues to be present. Uh, one verse that comes to mind that encapsulates a lot of what we're talking about here uh, is Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, uh, where Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. But then it has another effect as well. It doesn't just save us from the wrath of God. Verse 12 says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So th there are a number of passages we could point to, but I, I love how Paul, as he always does, says that the grace of God that saves us also has the effect of transforming us and motivating, motivating us towards godliness. It teaches us to renounce ungodliness. It teaches us to turn away from worldly passions. And it teaches us positively to live godly lives, lives that are reflecting the godliness of the God that we serve. 
Uh, we're to be redeemed not just from the punishment of our sins, but from lawlessness, from a rejection of the authority of God, and to be purified in increasing ways. So we, we want that to be something that is not contradictory to our intentional gospel-centered focus. We, we don't believe that the gospel should eliminate all discussion of godliness. Actually, quite the contrary. We believe that yeah. preaching the grace of God teaches us to renounce ungodliness yeah. and that those are not antithetical. They actually go together. So um, maybe share what, what other passages come to mind. Why is this something that, that we wanted to include in this list as, as needing to be unapologetically uh, promoted? Yet through the entire Old Testament, the reason that God saves a people is not only to bring them out of slavery, but to have a, a people for his own possession who worship and serve him through godliness, uh, a, a people who are holy as he is holy. It is uh, so much of what's in view of the giving of his law, which continues to play uh a role in the life of believers in instructing us in the path of godly living. Uh, first, Peter uh, 1 is one of those places that that comes to mind that calls us to be holy as he is holy, uh, to be holy in all your conduct, First Peter 1.15, uh, and that we are to conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile, knowing that we were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. So there was a former way of living. We've been ransomed from that with, not, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like mm -hmm. that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The very reason that Jesus died and shed his blood is not only that our sins would be forgiven, but that we would put sin to death and live holy lives uh, for for his glory. And so it's important to make that connection as you did between the gospel and between uh, godly living. It is a concern that I that I carry. There is a there's a certain version of gospel centeredness that is distorted. And mm -hmm. it's distorted because it never presses into to godliness. Uh, it it doesn't do what what scripture does. Uh, which uh, which celebrates the great indicatives of the gospel and what God has done, and uh, and then move to imperatives is what we see in Scripture that is instructions for how we are to live. That's the whole pattern that we see throughout Scripture. So in the Book of Ephesians, for example, glorious opening three chapters of Ephesians. Yes. But then what's the what are the the last three chapters? Well, it moves into this is how we are to to live. You see the same thing in Colossians. Uh, all of Colossians three is okay, if you have been raised with Christ, uh, then this is how you must live. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, uh, and on and on. And put on then Colossians three twelve. Uh, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. In other words, pursue a, a life of godliness. One of the things that, uh, that J.C. Ryle noted in his day, and it's the whole reason that he wrote the book Holiness, he was speaking into uh, you know, victorious Christian living, the higher life teaching that was common in that day. But he noticed that 
everyone was basically spending their time in the first three chapters of Ephesians and no one was moving into, he says that the apostolic preaching of the gospel always moves into, this is what this means for your marriage. This is what this means for your relationships. This is what this means for your own personal uh, pursuit of, of the Lord. I would say we are not, we're not dealing faithfully with the gospel. See, the good news of the gospel is includes the idea that God is committed to sanctifying us completely. Right. He's not just dealt with the penalty of sin and the power of sin. He's committed to dealing with the presence of sin in our lives. Mm-hmm. And he is doing that progressively as we are conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And so a faithful preaching of the gospel, a faithful understanding of the gospel will always lead to a certain emphasis on, on godly living uh, mm-hmm. and, on, and on the application of truth to, to our lives. 2 Timothy 3.16, uh, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Yes, it reveals Christ. But God's word is also training us in righteousness, directing us in the in the path of godliness. Excellent. Yeah, and I think we would want to say that everything that we're saying is biblically complementary and not contradictory at all to a steadfast rejection of legalism. That this, what we're talking about is not legalism, which I think maybe can be the danger that people rightly oppose Um, legalism, which ought to be defined as crediting our effort at godliness as the means or the basis of God's favor towards us, God's salvation, that our works are the reason that we get into heaven as the basis for that entrance, that we can point to our works as credit. We would say, no, that, that is legalism. The only reason that God saves sinners is the finished work of Christ. His righteousness alone is our standing before his holiness. That is complementary and not contradictory to an ongoing passion for growing in righteousness. So the faithful pastor, faithful Christian ought to be able to say, we are opposed to any effort that says our uh, standing in heaven (laughs) our final salvation is credited to our righteousness. We are opposed to any teaching that says that. Um, We are equally opposed to anything that says that if we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is legalism to call people to holiness. We would say, no, that is unbiblical and contrary to the clear teaching of Scripture. So we hold those things to be, in in Scripture, rightly complementary And I love what Sinclair Ferguson does, and I know you do as well, in the book, The Whole Christ, where he talks about, look, the the thing that brings these things together is the person of Christ Jesus, that the one who is our righteousness is also the one who commands us to live in righteousness. He's the one that gets the glory for our salvation. We get no credit and no glory for our salvation. It's his righteousness alone. But that one that saves us by his righteousness and by his atoning death is the same one that calls us to godly living. Um, It it strikes me, I was thinking about how, you know, the, maybe the pinnacle book of anti-legalism, which is Galatians, 
has such strong language about rejecting the works of the flesh. I mean, you Galatians, you know, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? How dare you abandon the gospel? You dare not look to your your works to save you, you know, Paul would say the Galatians. But he says in the same book, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other and so forth. I, there, there's this call to holiness in the book that is opposed to legalism. And I think we want to be unashamedly preachers of righteousness um, that comes from Christ alone mm-hmm. as our standing before God. And at the same time, a, a call to grow in holiness and righteousness by the power of the spirit. Um, so I think we, we want to be about both of those things. But let's, let's talk just a bit. You mentioned it earlier about the importance of this in terms of preaching that we yeah. be preachers that are willing to exhort and also uh, take a, a, a focused interest in application. That we're not just about proclaiming the identity of the Christian in Christ, but we're willing to talk about the calling of the Christian in obedience. Um, I, I remember, and you remember a couple of years ago, one of the ways that this began to be discussed online was to say that growth and godliness might be something that Christians ought to do, but it really was just focused on reminding them of their identity in Christ. That as they're reminded of their identity in Christ, sort of by default or almost passively, godliness will will increase. That has not been our heritage in Sovereign Grace, that we, we, we would have heard sermons, and now we've given sermons, where you preach our identity in Christ and our standing, our justified status, which we are never less nor more justified than we are the moment we're saved in Christ. Um, but that then our effort is required for growth in godliness. And that's a part of our preaching as well. In other words, you want to be just as passionate preaching um, Romans 3 as you are preaching Romans 12 and not act like the only way you can do Romans 12 is just by rereading Romans 3. You, you, want to, you want to preach both of those unapologetically, passionately. So, I mean, talk about that. Talk about our heritage of application. Why is that important? What have we learned over the years about that? This, this is a matter of faithfulness to that pattern in Scripture and to the commands of Scripture that call us. Hebrews 12, 14, strive after holiness. That should be something that... that uh, pastors are communicating to those they serve, exhorting them to strive after holiness, to be James 1, 22, doers of the word uh, right. and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. And that passage in, in James 1 is a, uh, is a significant one in our history um, mm. that uh, through which we've been taught that knowledge is the prelude to action and that uh that knowing is not an end to itself, but leads to doing. There was, in fact, a, uh, a sermon years ago that uh, C.J. Mahaney preached at one of our pastor's conferences. I believe it was 2005. And the sermon title was Application Preserving Our Future. And he mm-hmm. talked about the importance of, uh, and I think he, in some ways, was seen uh, a decade or more before it, it moved this way, the need uh, for for faithful preaching that applies uh, God's truth to, you know, to our lives. And so we, we listen to sermons for what can 
we apply to our lives. As I listen to a sermon, as another pastor is preaching, I'm not mostly thinking through uh, the lens of evaluation or thinking through uh, what points the church needs to hear. I'm thinking about my own life. I'm thinking about my own heart. I'm thinking about what difference the preaching of God's word uh, makes makes in my own my own life. Yes, excellent. Let's just talk briefly about maybe other um, modes of godliness that we might want to be aware of. And um, so I'm thinking, for example, of you know a Christian who is familiar with a call to godliness, but it's it, it tends to be um, a, a sort of a threatening motivation. It's driven by a almost a, a slavish fear of God, a worry um, that he is he's frowning upon us in an ongoing way. Um, you know that there's even the possibility that he might reject us because of our lack of godliness. Let's just address that because we we've always benefited from what we've described as grace motivated obedience. So what, what what do we mean by that? If we say grace motivated obedience, how, how would you define that? How do we distinguish? from that different kind of motivation. Yes, our pursuit of godliness takes place in from the place of knowing that our sins have been forgiven. And so we don't we we begin at that place. We we keep the cross in view throughout our pursuit uh, of godliness and and when we sin and we do sin much every day, it we 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 go back to the cross and remember what the Lord has done for us there. So that having a strong, full foundation of the forgiveness that is available in Christ is an essential part of Jesus came for the sin sick and the broken and the needy. He didn't come for those who, who have their act together. Uh, he came for the uh, for, for those who know I am a sinner. Uh, God, ha- have mercy on me. And so I think that's an essential part of, uh, of grace-motivated obedience. I think another key part is realizing that the, all of the commands of God are for our good. Right. This, is, this is what... Uh, what Adam and Eve failed to consider in the beginning, they they doubted the good character of God. And all through scripture, when God gives his people commands, you see this in the giving of the 10 commandments, these mm-hmm. things that I'm commanding you today for your good, mm-hmm. the, the path of prospering, the path of flourishing. So when, so when it comes to preaching the, the commands of God, that's, we're not beating people over the head with the commands of God. We're saying this is the path of blessing. This is the path of life. This is the law of liberty that we've been set free uh, to obey. And and a life of joy, uh, a life of contentment, a life of flourishing, uh, the life that we were meant to live is revealed in these commands. It's revealed uh, in in this, you know, in this law. So I think keeping in mind the heart of God for us in the com- God does not give commands because he is a killjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives commands because he is eager to 
bless his people who left to ourselves would go our own way and rebel yes. and make ourselves miserable and abandon the path of joy, you mm-hmm. know, which is the, the path of, of obedience. So I think mm-hmm. some of those things, a strong gospel foundation, but let me say this as well. Uh, grace motivated obedience keeps in view the priority of God's activity in our right. transformation. Right. God is the one who is at work in us, Philippians 2 says, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we we do seek to grow, but there is one who is more committed to my spiritual growth than I am, uh, right. and that is the Lord Jesus himself. And he has promised that he will bring to completion the good work that he has started in us. Uh, right. He will sanctify us completely on that, that final day. And so keeping in mind what he is doing now— what he has promised to do, and then what he will ultimately do when we are in the new heavens and the new earth, the sort of uh, perfected, glorified versions of ourselves will exist. Um, And that's part of what Christ has secured in the gospel. Um, Keeping in mind all of those things, that creates the context for which we say, all right, let's lean into uh, the the, the pursuit of, of growth in godliness. Yeah, excellent. You anticipated a, a point I was going to make that I think is important is the difference between godliness and a sort of dangerous introspection, which obviously you've written about um, in your book, Think Again, which if you're listening to this and you haven't read that, you should read that book. <laughs> Jared's not paying me to plug it, but you should read it. Um, but I, I do think that's an important point that you're making um, and that you make in the book is that there there is a a masquerading, um, you know, version of godliness that seeks to just look at our sin as if that sight, um, you know, before us endlessly is the key to growth. So we, w- we would want to say no, um, repentance and self-examination and discerning through the spirit, the, the conviction that ought to come because of our sin is a good and right thing, but it ought to lead us quickly to the atonement that's provided in the Lord Jesus, the confidence that we have that he is the one who is perfecting us over our life until he glorifies us, and making sure that that balance is appropriate, that it is true that as much as we look at our sin, we ought to look much more at the finished work of Christ and that will allow us then to look back at our sin in repentance and look again to his cross and keep moving forward. That ought to be an ongoing uh, practice for the Christian that is focused on, um, in a greater way, his grace and his finished work and his promises um, without eliminating the looks at our, at our sin that are necessary for us to grow. And one other category that I think it's worth adding here at the end is when we're talking about godliness, I, I think I feel like we have to say this. Uh, today. We're talking about those things that God has clearly defined as righteousness and sin um, in his scripture. Um, we're talking. We're not talking about what the culture might define as a subjective view of something that, you know, any person can come up with a definition of what it means to be godly for them. We're talking about growing in those things that the Bible calls us to grow in and rejecting those things the Bible calls us to reject. 
which is which is defined by his word it, it's not defined subjectively we're not free to give ourselves um license to redefine godliness nor are we free to add categories of godliness that god hasn't called every christian uh to obey and, and adding our preferences of life to his standard of godliness we're talking about those things that the bible calls sinful or that we can rightly deduce to be sinful because we're meditating on the scriptures and listening to his spirit um, yeah. apply them to our soul. So I, I think that objective standard is, is part of this as well. It's godliness in the pursuit of what the scripture calls uh, righteousness in response to the gospel. Excellent. Yes. Well, for those listening, we are grateful for you. And if you're a pastor of a Sovereign Grace Church, we are thrilled to be partners with you. We pray that godliness motivated by the gospel, grounded in the finished work of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the atonement of Christ, the promises of our preservation in Christ uh, would be true of us as pastors and as a family of churches. So God be with you, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.